Welcome to Lab the Podcast. We create space for real conversations with real people whose lives and work give us a glimpse of the life and beauty of the gospel. We're live from Tampa, Florida at Buddy Brew on Kennedy. Can't wait for the conversation, so here we go. My next guest, husband, father, dear, dear friend of mine, one of the guys who I met when I first moved to the city, and he was cool enough to welcome a West Coast person. And what I began to learn about this guy is that he's the real deal. Uh, There are pastors who are pastors because they fell into it, and 30 years later, they're still doing it, but they wish they weren't. And there are pastors who you can call in the middle of the night, and they will show up, and they will be your pastor in the funky places and the hard places. And my next guest is one of those kind of pastors who we love and we cherish. And so would you do me a favor and welcome Pastor J.J. Johnson. Yes. Thank you. See, this is good. Yeah, it's great. You can adjust that. This is kind of like broadcast style, so you got to be up in it, kind of, so to speak. A little different than Sunday mornings, There you go. Yeah, you can't move as much and... (laughs) Uh, thanks for being here. This oh, is good. Thank uh, and thank you again for just who you are and what you do in the city. I didn't mention this, but pastors have a funky job. You have a super strange job. And some of us imagine that we know what pastors do. We kind of have an idea of what we think you do. But if you really ask us and we drill down to it, we have no idea what mm-hmm. you really do for all your hours during the week. One thing that we know for sure is when life is hard, And when we don't know who else to call, often we call our pastor Mm. or we call somebody else's pastor. And you show up in these really strange places where life is not maybe what we hoped it would be or what it would look like. And that is a beautiful vocation, but it is a strange vocation. And so we could spend four or five episodes talking about who you are and what you do as a pastor but I want to get into the backstory okay. and your story, if that's okay. Well, you might sure. trickle back around to being a pastor, but I think it all comes into play from what God was doing early on. And so, we, are you okay just getting right into yeah, it? Yeah, let's go. Okay. What I'm curious about is how, how a fourth grade kid mm. who's laying on the floorboard of his dad's car with a gun in his hand, scared, confused, I don't know everything that was going on, but how does that fourth grade kid with a gun in his hand, hiding on the floorboard, become the guy that I call when my daughter's in the hospital and I don't know what to do and I think I might need a pastor that night to hold my hand as we walk through something really tough. Mm. That's what we get to get into. And sometimes on Sunday morning, you go, I had no idea that that's your story. Help us understand how did you end up on the floorboard of that car that night? And just unpack for us a little bit of childhood. What brought you to that moment? And we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, first of all, Zach, you have to say God's providence, but also God's protection. Um, As a fourth grader, I am, uh, I find myself in in the floorboard of my father. I hate to call him father. My my dad, I guess, uh, his car. Uh, He was uh, not a good man. I I tell people all the time, I probably had the world's worst father, and I'm sure that's debatable, right? Especially in the world that we live in, and so many 
sad stories, unfortunately, that we hear, but, but I'm up there. Like, I'll put myself in the two percenters of the world's worst dads. And when you find yourself in the floorboard of your father's car and he hands you a gun for the very first time and says, if anyone opens the door, you start shooting. Uh, that's not a, a great situation to find yourself in. And, and unfortunately, the reason we were there, uh, my father was an alcoholic. He was a gambler. And I always try to joke about it. And I think when you and I sat down and talked, one of the ways that I handled a lot of the situations in my own life was by humor and, and then through sports. And so uh, my dad could drink a lot better than he could gamble. And so we were always finding ourselves in, in these uh, tough and difficult situations of life. Uh, matter of fact, the reason that I'm in the floorboard on this particular night, probably around midnight, uh, my father had staged a robbery. Uh, so someone had broken into our house and he knew who they were. And uh, they'd stolen some things uh, from him and stolen some things from my mom. And I, Zach, I can tell you, uh, my mom and my dad uh, were not good for each other. Uh, my dad was not a believer, was not a Christian, uh, was not a good man. And yet, on the other hand, you have a lady who is a believer, my mom, who loved the Lord, but, but unfortunately, I, I guess, just married the wrong person. And so they're constantly at each other. And on this particular night, when, when we were robbed, um, some of the valuable things in my mom's life were stolen, and she lost it. And so we're headed to one of the worst neighborhoods in, in our community, and she's walking, and we're riding beside her, and next thing you know, we take off, and, and, and we go to the house of the people who robbed us. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's where I find myself in this situation. And uh, after that, my father was arrested, and, and that was not uncommon. I would see him several times behind bars, and, uh, but on this time, my, my mom drew a line in the sand, and that was it. And, and so she loaded us up, and we moved from the Anniston, Oxford, Alabama area all the way to a little place called Kingsport, Tennessee, up in Upper East Tennessee, uh, just east of, uh, east of Knoxville. Yeah. So, so we're living there. We just covered so much ground in 30 seconds. Right. And everybody who's listening is like, wait, I have my 10,000 questions for the Q&A. I feel that same way. There's so much in that from birth to fourth grade. Mm. Uh, the instability and the, you talk about God's providence and that at the time you were not aware that he had his hand on you, but somehow you did not turn bitter. You weren't hurt and you weren't killed. You survived that. And when you made the trip to, from Anniston to Tennessee and you said goodbye to dad, was this relief? Was this... you? get me out of there? Was, was there any heartbreak about leaving? Were you, was that disruptive to you? Or were you like, Tennessee, here we come? Yeah, uh, relief, obviously not having dad, father in, in my life, but uh, disappointed because I was very involved uh, with my school through sports and other things. I, I, I just made friends uh, very easily. So going to miss them but was not going to miss the situation that we were living in, um, the circumstances in which we found ourselves. Even though he was in our life at that time, he did not take care of us. Uh, financially, he didn't take care of us. Uh, providing just as a man protection, he, he didn't do any of those things for us. So in that regard, yeah, it's got to be better, right, yeah. without him because it was not good with him. Yeah. So in that regard, there was some relief. 
So you're going, young kid, single mom, you guys just load up the car and you go, move in with grandparents, you sleeping in a room, you get a room, you get a couch, like what is it like growing up now? Take us fourth grade to eighth grade, what was life like in that stretch? Yeah, the next several years of my life, I actually grew up sleeping on a couch and we move in with my grandparents. My mom had never worked before, so this was going to be a new experience for her. So to kind of get her feet on the ground, we, we live with them, but it's a two-bedroom apartment. And so uh, mom and little sister uh, get a bedroom. And then, of course, my grandparents, so I'm on the couch and just kind of grew up. That was normal for several years of my life. And uh, finally, my mom made enough money that we could move out. We got a little single bedroom apartment. Of course, mom and little sister are in that room. And again, I'm on the couch. And this is kind of what I knew. And it's just part of it. And spent a lot of time at friends' house and other people, you know, teammates, things like that. So I didn't want anyone else exposed to the way that I was living. So I would make sure I would go to them and would never allow them to come to me. Internally, were you, did you just kind of shield with the humor and the sports? Did you just create your own world outside of home? Or did you uh, isolate? Did you struggle with depression, with anger, with some of these things that we assume like, man, you, that must have been like this? What was your story? How did you deal with that kind of instability? Yeah, uh, sports and humor. Uh, and unfortunately, where we're living, um, it, it was not probably the best constructed apartments ever. And so there were a little fourplex. And so everyone could hear conversations. You didn't need cable. Most of us couldn't afford it anyway. And you would just listen to the different stories that were happening in the different apartments. Uh, unfortunately, our family kind of became the talk of the town. And so I'd go to the bus station. And I know you heard us last night and everybody else heard us. So I would just break the ice and drop in with my own story or my own joke so that uh, I wouldn't feel weird or awkward about that. But I almost wanted to be in charge of the situation. So instead of allowing it to drag me places, I, I said, hey, I'm going to take my story with me and I'll just introduce it to everyone. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's, it's important, at least it, it was for me, as I started to get a glimpse of this story, we talk about the life and beauty of the gospel. What is the gospel? How does the gospel actually produce fruit? And when I meet you, I don't know any of this. I know that Sharon probably dresses you because you yes. dress well. And I'm like, <laughs> Good call there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know that you were from Anniston, Texas. I don't know. Maybe fashion is a big deal there. But I'm assuming you, you're put together. You're sharp. You speak on stage. You're a pastor. And you, it's very easy to go, this guy doesn't know hmm. what it's like to have my power shut off. Hmm what it's like, you know, like you don't know. And so you can stand up there and you can preach and you can say what you want to say. You can quote Bible verses at me, but you've never. And as I started to get to know Pastor JJ, I was like, well, maybe he has. Hmm. Then I got to know him more and I was like, well, he probably has. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. And so thank you for letting us get a little glimpse of that. Sports became the catalyst for you to keep moving forward. And you were on a track to move forward and life started to become predictable, even though it was sleeping on a couch. But then things got unstable again and there was a break in the another break in the family and you found yourself now without mom 
take us to that moment of where mom said goodbye to you and things changed again. Okay. You know, Zach, I preach reconciliation. Like I try my best to reconcile families, to reconcile spouses. Um, in, In this situation, it was not a good reconciliation. My dad moves back in with us, uh, probably one of the worst decisions my mom ever made. Um, And and, and they were just not good for each other. And so there were many, many times um, that they're fighting to where we have to call the police. Matter of fact, Zach, there's three times in my life that I actually saw my mom and dad try to kill each other, uh, once with a knife and twice with a gun, where they like shot a bullet at one another. And, you know, I'm in the house, I'm in the the bedroom when this is taking place. And the only thing you can do is run to a neighbor and hope, I I wouldn't say pray because I'd never done that, but I would say hope and pray that you would have the guts to to come over. Uh, But, you know, you didn't want to get involved in that. And so uh, they were an absolute disaster for one another. Um, Zach, and then Eighth grade, uh, we're away, state baseball championship. We're playing in Knoxville, Tennessee. So, you know, the, the small towns come to the big city, and we're playing there, and, and we're doing very well to, to the point that um, we're, we are in the winner's bracket. So we actually get to go back to school, which I, I, if I had a thought back, maybe we would have lost so we could have <laughs> stayed and not have to go back to school. But we have to go back to school and it's there where things really get crazy. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're on a stage having a pep rally, and uh, I'm on the stage. I think I spoke for a couple minutes, and I look up, and in the far top part of the bleachers, I see a teacher go and pull my sister out of the assembly, out of the pep rally. And, and here's what I know. I've done bad things. She's never done anything bad. So I'm thinking, this is not good. I'm sitting on the stage going, this is not good. All right, for them to call her out. And then it was only probably a few moments later that a teacher gets my attention and pulls me off the stage. And, and it's at this point that we go into the office and no one's saying anything to us. And, and we recognize our neighbors. I don't want to say we, we knew them, sure. but we recognize that, hey, that looks like our neighbors. And, and they only say to us, um, we're, we are here to drive you guys home. So we get in the backseat of their car I think we may have had a conversation of, hey, what do you think this is? You know, what has mom and dad done? And and when we arrive at the house, we discover that on this particular day, um, my dad was forced by the court system to start to pay us child support, to start to actually invest some finances in our life, which he'd never done even when we lived with him. But Zach, instead of pulling out a pen, writing a check, my dad put out a gun and killed himself. And it was on that day where, in, in those times, all of the, the, the debt, all the, the financial responsibilities that a person had, even if they committed suicide, all of those fell on your family. Well, we were already poor, so I mean, what are we going to do now? And, and on that day, uh, in the next couple of days, my mom had to make a really tough decision for her, but it was the best decision for us. And what she decided to do was to allow me to live with legal guardian parents. And then she was going to go back to Alabama for an environment that she was more familiar with. And she took my little sister with her. And so now I'm living with legal guardian parents uh, as an eighth grader going into the summer of you know, high school. I can't even imagine, I mean, if you're listening to this, 
we've all been through transitions. I mean, my daughter started sixth grade this year, and I was, you know, making a list, and Cammie's in charge, and this is going to be a huge transition. All of those transitions, eighth grade to high school, those are big transitions. This is Knoxville, Tennessee. You say goodbye to mom. Your dad's taken his own life. Mm-hmm. So dad is, was never really present, but now he's gone. Mom is gone. Legal guardians are going to take custody of you. Do you remember the first few nights, days? And that, was that just the strangest experience? Or how did you make sense of everybody's gone and I'm in this new home with these people? Were these people that you knew? Were they close to you? What was it like to, to have to adjust again to that much change? Yeah. Zach, I can tell you, the, the first night I wake up in a cold sweat, uh, nightmare, because the dream was actually my dad had not died. And, and that was probably the scariest moment to think that, that he's out there somewhere. And of course, you know, you wake up, you realize, no, this is, this is just a dream uh, that he really has taken his life. And, and here I am with legal guardian parents. They knew of me only through athletics. My uh, guardian dad, Jack, uh, had actually played in, in a professional basketball league known as the ABA. Of course, now it's the NBA. Those two merged. So he played in the ABA. Margaret, his wife, uh, was a nurse, but she was like uh, the school mom. Everyone in the school loved her. So, so all of a sudden, I go from the parents that everyone talked about. Uh, I went from the parents that when my father committed suicide, the, the girl that I was in a relationship with, her mom and dad were embarrassed about what happened, so they had their daughter break up with me because of this. Now, all of a sudden, I'm living with really two of the cool, coolest parents in all of our city. Sure. So it's kind of a rags the riches type story in regard to their personality, in regard to who they are, the way the community views them, and the great thing is, I've got a brother. Yeah. Um, so they had a son uh, whose name was Rusty. And Rusty was our star basketball player and uh, just an incredible guy. And all of a sudden, now I'm not riding the bus to school. I'm, I'm riding the school with Rusty. And, you know, it's almost like when we pull up, uh, the people outside taking pictures and wanting his <laughs> autographs. So, I mean, it's a lot better life. Sure. I no longer have the pink card. And yeah. in case you're not familiar with that, being from Oregon, yeah. uh, pink <laughs> card was we have, we have pink cards uh, no one no, there's only a few people out there that are going to know what a pink card is sure. a pink card is uh you don't have enough money for lunch you don't have enough money for breakfast you don't even have enough money for break like you can't even afford the apple during you know break time so you were given a pink card and, and you'd have to go through the lunch room or get, you know get your apple your you know carton of milk and, and they would punch it and and, and i was trying to, to, you know, you're in eighth grade, and I'm playing baseball, popular in the school, and I'm trying to keep the cool factor even though I'm living in a disaster situation. So I try to just pull the card out as Lunch little as possible. Lunch lady it. is not going for it at all. She'd pull it out, and she'd check it to make sure it's real. Like, no one's going to counterfeit this pink card, right? There's like four of us that have it. I promise you it's real. But she would do it every single time. So now... I don't have the pink card. Now I actually have money that I'm paying for lunch with. Um, you know, again, have in what seems to be the, the perfect family. You know, in fact, my family was a disaster and everyone knew it. What we didn't know is this family was a disaster and no one knew it. Mm. 
that really they were only staying together because of their son, Rusty. And on the day that he graduated, they sat me down, they sat us down, and, and they told us that uh, Jack had been having an affair and that um, they were going to get a divorce. So and I'm thinking, well, first of all, I'm two for two. So, I mean, you don't want me to spend the night with you. Yeah. You don't want me coming over. Like, bad things are going to happen. So I ended up moving in with my grandparents, and I wasn't there long, and my grandfather got really, really sick and um, got dementia, and I had to end up moving out. And, and where do you go next, right? So you're, my mom is, is working on her. So she's doing all she can do. And in then Alabama. I can, in she's Alabama. Back in so she's in Alabama. And then my guardian parents, I mean, they just got a divorce. My grandparents are, are dealing with this illness. And so I end up moving in with my guardian grandmother. So I'm going into high school. And, you know, that's when you want to go to parties. And you want to host parties as well. Sure. But my guardian grandmother was 68 years old. She still had to work. We're living in government housing, right? And every night she would rub Bengay on her feet. And Zach, there is nothing that smells worse than that. And you don't want to invite your friends over, all right? Because she was not shy about this. So it didn't matter. She'd just throw the sandals off and start rubbing the bing. She never asked me to do it. Praise the Lord. Uh, so that was, uh, that was obviously a different experience. But for the first time, Zach, here's what I heard. Every single day I heard this. JJ, God loves you. I never heard that before. Did that mean anything to you? I mean, childhood no. forward, was God a part of the conversation Fair, at all? No, not at all. I mean, I, I would have a coach that if we're playing a really, really difficult, tough team, you know, he may say, hey, we're going to pray today. And I remember one time we did what I now know is the Lord's Prayer. I didn't know it, but apparently the other guys did. I'm like, how do you guys know this thing? <laughs> and so we're doing the Lord's Prayer, and I'm, you know, I, I'm faking it through it. Uh, so yeah, every day, JJ, God loves you. And there were several times that I remember her, I thought she was talking to her bed. I didn't know. Um, she was praying. I, I, now I realize, right? Like sure. I know she was praying because there were times she would mention my name. And I thought, wow, when you get old, I guess that happens because I'm in here and she's talking to the bed. And, and I just thought when you're old, then, you know, that's what happens, right? You need Bengay, you need God, yeah. and you talk to the bed. Yeah, that's it. When she says that, JJ, God loves you. I just listened to like the, the top level of your story, just the icing on the cake of all of the disruption, all of the change. Did, did you just blow it off and go, I don't know what this lady's doing talking to the bed? Or was there any part of you that was like, hey, if, if that is God and this is the way he shows love, then I don't buy it. Yeah, unfortunately, Zach, I, I would tell you it's the worst day of my life. So of all the things that have happened in my life, uh, the times where I've seen my parents try to kill each other, um, the time where I saw my mom on a street much like the street behind us get out of the car and walk home, uh, the times where my dad showed up at a game drunk and they had to escort him out to him ultimately taking his own life, I would tell you that the worst day of my life was one morning when my guardian granny tells me that God loves me and I dropped everything and pointed my finger in her face and said, you tell your God that if this lo is love, I don't want any part of it. Hmm. Gathered my stuff and, and, and left and went to school that day. The absolute worst day of my life. I, I remember this feeling in my stomach, almost like a knot in my stomach. And, and the entire day, 
just being a disaster. Uh, going class to class, not really focused, not really paying attention. Um, baseball practice afterwards wasn't there. I remember being yelled at and, and, and the coach saying, it's like you're not with us today. And, and I wanted to say, I'm not, not. Like the only person that has shown me nothing but love, 100%, I just yelled at her and, and more or less said of the one thing that I know she uh, admired more than anything. Her relationship with God was priority number one. And I more or less said, I don't want any part of that. Yeah. So it was a terrible day. I remember going out to eat with a bunch of the, you know, the guys. And, and I honestly thought, Zach, we'd pull up at, my, at her house, government sure. housing, that we'd pull up there and there would be a, a brown paper sack. And my belongings, what little they were, would be in that. And you know, I'd ask a guy, hey, can I sleep Crash at your house couch. tonight? And that was just part of it. You know? and, and again, at her place, I'm, I'm on the couch. So I'm just going couch to couch at this point. It's, it doesn't really matter. Hmm. So that's kind of where we, where we are. You go back up to those stairs to go back in. Your stuff is not on the porch. How did you go back to try to weasel your way back in or make amends or get your stuff and leave? I don't know why you went back up there, but you knock on the door. What happens next? I mean, she didn't throw you out. No. Zach, this is probably the first time. I think God has been working, right? All this, this entire process in my life. And I think there are times where we don't know God is moving in our life, and He is. Um, there are times when we experience sorrow, we experience sadness, and, and we don't see how could good be in this. Yeah. And, and I think God will move heaven and earth. Um, and I think God moved heaven and earth for, for me to understand His love, uh, especially when you realize that the Bible describes God's love as that of a father. Mm-hmm. And that was something I didn't want to have any part of. So when she's telling me that, I'm thinking, listen, if your God is anything like my dad, then his love stinks, and I don't want any part of your God. Mm-hmm. So I, I get out of the car, and, and I tell the guys, like, don't leave. Wait here. Yeah, yeah, like, wait here. I'm going to need a ride. And so I remember this, you know, my bag is not there. The, my key actually works. And I kind of wave the guys off. And, and I remember Zach opening the door, and, and there she is. And, and I played sports, so I'm thinking, hey, it's going to be like a coach chewing you out. And, and I'm going to wear it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm going I to own this moment. So I'm going to wear this, and I'm going to take whatever you know, verbal lashing that, that she's going to send. And I deserve it. So I'm good with that. And, and instead, here's what she says. Um, there's dinner in the oven. And I don't know if there's been a greater statement to have influenced my life than dinners in the oven. Yeah. Because in that moment, here, here's what I'm thinking. I hurt you. Why would you take care of me? No one's really family. taking care of me. You're not family. We're in government housing. You know, what are we doing? And she tells me dinner's in the oven. And, and that was the first night that I can ever recall praying. And, and again, I'm on the couch, and I just remember looking up and, and saying something to the effect of, God, I don't know if you're real, but Granny believes you are. And so, God, if you are, you're going to have to show yourself to me because I haven't seen 
your love. So therefore, I, I don't know. And that's weird that a pastor says this. I don't know if you're real. Hmm. Like, I don't really know if you exist. Yeah. And that was my prayer. I think it's beautiful that you're able to say that because for so many of us who are not up there preaching, we, we think it, it comes some other way. And I don't have that because what I have is on a couch looking up going, I don't know. I don't know. And that we talked about it a few weeks ago, but faith sometimes is the one, one diamond amidst everything else that's dark, but it's there and it's causing you to look. But you don't know what's up there. You don't know who's there. Right. But it's embarrassing to say it. We think that's, ah, that's just me. So thank you for saying it. Mm. How, what happened? I mean, how does that work? You say, God, if you're there, show me your love. What, is, what, what unfolds that ultimately shifts you to a, to a position where you say, no, he's there yeah. and he does love me and this is real and I want to love him back? Well, one, I would say prayer. I didn't understand prayer, even though that's the first prayer I pray. And I think, the, you know, I know the Bible teaches us that if we seek after God, we will find him. And I think that was somewhat of maybe my attempt of seeking, even though I didn't know how to do that, of searching for God. And I didn't know how to do that. But the other part about prayer, even though that was my first prayer, it was not my guardian grandmother's first prayer, right? And so she, back in the day, they had Rolodexes. So she, that same day, worst day of my life, I later find out was the best day of her life because she pulled out her Rolodex and she, it was one of those circular phones, if you remember. So she would actually have to put the finger in, dial the numbers. And she's calling everyone from her church and her Sunday school class telling them, pray for JJ, he's really close. <laughs> now, if I mean, I'm as far away from God as you possibly can be in this moment, but she saw what my negative reaction as a positive reaction. Mm. Uh, finally, there's some emotion, even though it's not positive, she saw that as positive. Sure. And so she calls all of the old ladies in her Sunday school class and says, you've got to start praying. And it was... In the next couple of days, it was almost as if there were some believers here and there. I didn't know that. And it was almost as God took the curtain off and I was able to see something that I'd never seen before. First of all, her love for me. I'd never experienced anything like that before. And then I, I go to school, you know, the next couple of days, and uh, I, I, there's a guy, we all know him. He, I mean, he's the most popular guy in our school. His name was Sid, and he was the captain of the varsity baseball team. He had a girlfriend. Everyone wanted to be like him. Everyone wanted a friendship with him. Matter of fact, Sid would walk into the cafeteria. And, and I remember all the freshman baseball players. We all kind of have our little table. We're scared to death. So we're, so we're, you know, stronger in a huddle. So we're all together. And then the cheerleaders, the band people, the smart people, you know, everybody's in like their little group. And everyone wanted Sid. Now, today, I probably would get in trouble for stalking, but I would watch every move he would make. And, and I don't know, it was almost like God dropped him into our school just for me. He'd been there the entire time, but I don't think I'd ever noticed him or he had ever noticed me. And, and I remember about two days after praying, God, if you're real, you're going to have to show yourself to me because I, I just don't know if you are. I'm watching Sid. 
And I noticed, and I guess Sid had always done this. I just hadn't paid attention. And Sid would say hi to all the groups. And then Sid would go find a student sitting all by themselves. Now, it was the second largest high school in the state of Tennessee. So, I mean, that wasn't hard to do. And Sid, and I'm thinking, you know, as a freshman, uh, he's going to put green beans up their nose or make them, you know, snort mashed potatoes. I mean, I probably would have done that. But Sid was uh, much uh, uh, better of a person than I was. And Sid would sit down, and, and this was the first thing that caught my attention. He would introduce himself to them. And I remember watching this and going, why are you introducing yourself? Everyone knows you. <laughs> and he would introduce himself, and the person would introduce themselves to him, and, and they would share a meal together. Mm-hmm. And after the meal, and he did this every day, after the meal, he would take their tray and go throw it away for them. Mm-hmm. And I just remember going, if there is a God, I bet that's what God's like. Mm. And then the next thing that happened is Sid shows up at, at our freshman baseball game. No one came to our freshman baseball game. I mean, your grandparents wouldn't come. Your parents wouldn't come. No one would come to a freshman baseball game. But Sid would come. And I remember, uh, it's probably the first game of the year. We're playing at home. And, and the word spreads in the dugout that Sid is there. And he actually brought his girlfriend. Like, he's not embarrassed of us, right? <laughs> and so I just remember everyone talking. Sid is at the game. And all of us ran to the top of the dugout steps to actually turn and see. So I cannot imagine what that looked like. Yeah. And I don't know why. It happened to be probably the best game I've ever played. And so afterwards, Sid came down and said something to me. And then the next day, he asked if, if I wanted to sit with him at lunch. I'm thinking like, uh, yes, so does everyone in this school, right? And so we had lunch together. It was a Friday. And then that night, he said, hey, I, I want you to come hang out with me. And I remember us being in the car, and we're driving somewhere. And we're, for some reason, we're both in the back. There's one other guy, two people up front. And, and they open up a cooler, and they're handing out beers, and and Sid says, uh, JJ and I aren't going to have one. I'm thinking, well, why not me? I mean, <laughs> why'd you say that? And then he says, and if you guys are going to drink, like we're getting out. And again, I'm like, why we? I get, I get to ride in a car. But then I'm thinking, but I'm with Sid, so it's okay. But they had such respect for him. Like everybody put it, because no one wanted to, to make Sid mad. Sure. And, um, you, you know, he never shared the gospel, but he showed me the gospel. Yeah. And it wasn't long after that I received another phone call. And this time it's from a, a man in Anniston, Oxford. And he calls me and says, hey, I've been dating your mom and I want to ask her to marry me. And, and if I do, then I want you to move in with us. This is one of the things that I hope everybody's picking up. And I, I wish we had time to like script this and make a movie out of this. Because here's the important thing, and I want us to pay attention to this. If you plotted the characters in this story, you know, completely unaware that God is there, don't know if you exist, Granny believes you exist, but along the way, you've got a single mom who makes incredibly difficult choices, Mm. one of which is to send you with the first guardian parents and say, I cannot care for you as a single mom. My husband's just committed suicide. I don't know all of the things going on in her mind, but I see a single mom there's probably teachers and people who are there that we don't even know about, don't know what, coaches, all of these people. You've got a kid named Sid. You've got guardian parents. You've got guardian granny. Are you seeing the way that, like, we wonder, like, where does God move? How does God move? The spirit blows in the wind. You can't mm. see it. 
Well, you see it in Sid, and you mm. see it in Granny, and you see it in Guardian Parents, and God is with us and walking us up to this moment. Did you go? Did you move? Did you leave baseball and all of that and go and take a risk? I mean, I can imagine you going, I've been this, I've done this before. I'm not doing this again. Yeah, here was the convincing point for me. He said he was in charge of nuclear medicine at the hospital. And I said, I'm in. All right, so. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Again, I have no idea. And he tells me, I have a room for you. And I had not had one of those in, long, in a long time. So I'm in. So I, I do remember, you know, moving in with them. And, and it probably the second or third day, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Yeah. Like, I, I'm a inner city kid. I'm a government housing kid. And now we have this nice house. We have everything we possibly could need and even want. And, and one day, it was one of the first times, it was overwhelming. Mm. Like of everything that happened, all of this is now overwhelming. And I remember just going out like a lot of guys do and, and playing basketball at a local court and end up being on the team with this, this guy named Jeff. And Jeff and I kind of hit it off. And, and it's one of those, if you win, you stay in and your little team stays together. And, and for some reason, we kept winning. About you never that. won. <laughs> so we're winning and, 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 you know, and it starts to get late. People start to leave and it ends up just being Jeff and I. And we play a little one-on-one. And then Jeff asked me a question that no one had asked before. And Jeff asked if I wanted to go to church. And I, would, I honestly answered him, why? And then he said, well, my dad's the pastor. I didn't know what a pastor was. No clue. That meant nothing to me. And I asked, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, my dad's going to talk. And I go, well, we can't just go to your house for that if your dad's just going to talk to us. And then he said, well, there's going to be girls there. I said, I'm just going to tell you, you should lead with that, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> yeah. it should be the leading question. Elevator and pitch. Yes. So yeah. I'm there. So Tuesday, now it's Wednesday. I'm in church on a Wednesday night. It's youth group. It was fun. Sure. Um, and then that night, Jeff and the, and the youth pastor, Alan, asked me if I wanted to go to the lake with them on Friday. So here I am, new to a city, and in two days, two or three days, I'm at a lake, hanging out with these two incredible... And I could tell, they're like Sid. Yeah. I, now, I know that now, but at the moment, I didn't really put that together. But they were like Sid. And so we just had a great time, and, and it wasn't but just a few weeks after that that I'm sitting in a church service, and I remember hearing the gospel. So I've seen the gospel, yep. but now I actually hear the gospel. But there was a great fear of receiving that. And part of that goes back to this thought that, that God desires to be your heavenly father. And, and, and that was a huge struggle for me of, of am I going to take the risk mm-hmm. uh, to receive this father after having some fathers that were not very good. Mm-hmm. And, and so I remember not being intimidated or scared about receiving Christ but intimidated and fearful of what does a Godfather look like, yeah. right? Like, God is my Father. What's that going to look like? But at this point, I'm ready. And, and so I remember inviting Christ into my life and, 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 and Him being for me what I now realize the Scripture teaches is God is the Father to the fatherless. Yeah. So now as I backtrack, rewind the story of my life, I see that, that God has been that this entire time. I just didn't know him, and I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. There's so much that I wish we could get into, um, and they keep showing me the time cards, so I'm, we're bound by the clock. 
But Sunday is Father's Day. Mm. And when we thought about this and this conversation, the father to the fatherless, it just struck me that here's a guy who I respect as a dad. Like, JJ, you're one of those guys that I look up to, and I go, well, you, I, I know your kids, and I have kids that are not as old as your kids, but I go, what is he doing? How, is, how are you and Sharon doing this parenting thing? And when I found out, like, you didn't have a father to, you know, I take most of my good plays from my dad. I'll call dad and say, what do I do? You didn't have that relationship, and yet here you are as an example that I look up to as a father. How do you think, I mean, when you look back on the story, did you then just from that moment forward go, okay, I'm going to embrace this idea of God as my father, and did it just click, or did, did you have to work at this? How did you get to be a dad that I look up to when you did not have a father to learn from? Yeah. I don't get that. Zach, I, mean, I remember the day when Sharon told me that she was pregnant. And I remember saying, no, like that can't be, right? Like, no, you're not, you're not pregnant. Now, we're not talking about with Zeke, right? Like, this is the first one. This is the, the oldest one. Uh, the 23-year-old, I remember saying, no, and, and this overwhelming fear come over me of all the pain in my life was caused by men. It was, it was caused by dads, so-called fathers. And now, all of a sudden, I'm going to be one of those? And I remember the enemy really working um, in my head uh, and probably also in, in my heart that you're going to be a disaster at this. Yeah. And, and I, I remember those first couple of moments, those first couple of minutes that, that Sharon shared that and just being scared to death that I... I'm going to be the second world's worst dad, right? Because where do I pull? I mean, what illustrations, what examples do I have? And again, you, you just have to lean into the scriptures. Uh, you have to follow the example of Christ. And, and, and that's what I've tried to do. Uh, by no means have I been perfect. And, you know, uh, two of my boys would probably tell you that. I'm not sure if the youngest one won. I don't know if he knows, right? Uh, but the older two could, could definitely tell you stories and illustrations, examples of where I blew it. But I think there's three things all of us can do, regardless of what type of parent you have. Put them ahead of you and learn from them. Mm. And then there gets to be this, uh, there comes this opportunity that you have in life where you get to put them beside you mm -hmm. and you get to lean on them. And that's probably where you're at, you know, where you get to lean in and it's more of a friendship. But unfortunately, and this is what I've had to do, there's times where you have to put them behind you. And it's not where you forget them, mm -hmm. but it's where you go, I'm not going to be like that. Mm -hmm. I, just because I had a father like that doesn't mean I have to be a father like that. Yeah. So I had to put those experiences behind me. And, and you can learn positive and negative. And, and so I remember saying, and I th not me, I remember God teaching me through this process that just because you had that doesn't mean you're going to be that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think that this is where, if, for everybody who's listening who has that story and people that we're putting behind the terrifying reality that we are going to raise humans and it's, right. we have a responsibility, there are very real things. You mentioned one of them, Scripture. Like, there is a, there is a way. Walk in it. Find that ancient road, that old path. Like, there, are, there is a way. You said follow the example of Jesus. Well, where do I find that? You know, the church. Hmm. Surround yourself with people like Sid read that book, pray those prayers. 
the reason I'm mentioning is it, it is because it doesn't happen in abstraction. And sometimes we think like, we just go, you know, well, God, I guess you'll make it up. You sought it out and that you were intentional about habits and practices and community that you put in your life. And that became the way that God was able to shape you. Mm. And I think that's important for us to take away because we can skip that part of the story, but, but you have learned along the way. Tonight, for those of us who are dads or for those people who are listening who are dads, give us something, and we'll go lightning round, I promise. Um, what have you learned about being a father? Like, what is the, the true character of a father? If you could say to us who are listening, it's Father's Day weekend, so we'll indulge it. What, what are one or two things that you would say, hey, Zach, guys listening, if you were a dad, these are the things that count. Yeah, uh, first and foremost is your relationship with God. I, I think as a man, that's the first thing you have to have is a personal relationship with God. That's yours. You have to own that. It can't be your wives. It can't be the churches. It can't be what other people want for you. Like This is something you've got to desire for yourself and then grow in that relationship. And then the next thing I would say is sur- put other men in your life. Um, we do this in almost every area of life except for spiritually. And so especially for men, there's something strange or weird being in an accountability group, being in a small group, Bible study with a, with a group of men. And I would encourage you to seek that out. And then my next step, Zach, would be um, take responsibility. Take responsibility for the spiritual temperature of your family. Uh, take responsibility for your own spiritual temperature. And and in taking responsibility, you have to realize you are responsible for them. Uh, You're also responsible to them. And and, and we always like to say, hey, that wasn't my fault, right? But that doesn't mean it's not my responsibility. And so you may have a, a reverse situation out there. You may have a son or a daughter who maybe they're making decisions that you're like, how in the world? Why are they doing that? That's not my fault. And it may not be your fault. But take responsibility. Yeah. Get involved. I think one of the things my wife would tell you, her big thing is be there. Mm. And, and don't just be there as in be in the room or be at the, at the school or the extracurricular activity, but actually be there, be engaged, be in the moment. And I think men struggle with that. Yep. We're going to close with, I want you to talk to two people. The first is that kid or that young person who's eighth grade high school that is sleeping on a couch um, and doesn't know what the rest of the story is going to look like. What do you say to that kid tonight who is going, I don't know, if that's, my, if that's the God that you're talking about, uh, I don't know if I want anything to do with that. Yeah, I, oh, I didn't either. And so I would just encourage that kid um, to know that there is a God that loves you. And I always like to say this, that there is a God that loves you more than the universe in and of itself. So regardless of what you may be going through in this moment does not mean that's what you're going to go through the rest of your life. Uh, I am happy to say uh, that my kids were able to go to school and they did not have a pink card. I'm happy to say I don't live in government housing anymore. I'm happy to say that, that uh, the government doesn't give me stuff that I actually have to give back to the government. And I, enjoy, I may be one of the few people that actually enjoy paying taxes because I get to give back right to the government. I get to one-up them in a way. Uh, so I would just encourage that kid, hey, the, the story's not over. Hmm. 
Um, and, and you may not understand right now, but I can't tell you, Zach, how many times in my own life that God has afforded the opportunity uh, for me to speak into a kid who probably looks at me as a pastor and like, oh yeah, you were probably, you know, you're raised with a Bible in your bed or, you know, you grew up on this isolated island where they taught you scripture and you meditated all day. And, and that is far from the truth. So, so many times I'm able to share with a, a kid or a student who um, thinks there's no way I, I have a story that can compare to their story. And listen, there's far worse stories out there, right? Sure. Like everyone has a story, but your story isn't finished. Mm-hmm. And, and let God keep writing the story. Yeah. I think that answers the second one. I was going to ask you for all of us who have messed up and we're the parents going, we're the people that everybody in the neighborhood is talking about and we just cannot get it right and we keep blowing it. And, and there, we feel hopeless in that place. What, what would you go back and say to your mom that is trying so hard and she's doing it alone and she's trying to make her way forward? What encouragement would you give to her in, in that moment, in those hard places that she found herself. Yeah, and that was, a, it was obviously a very difficult time for her as well. And um, it was not in a day that the church embraced um, relationships like she was in. Um, the, the, there was no women's ministry. There was no small group for moms. There was no celebrate recovery. So if you were going through grief, if you were going through a difficult time, the church almost stiffed arm you. Um, So I would tell her, stay faithful, um, which she did for herself. And and, and in that, I don't even think she realized that by staying faithful in her own walk, that it provided this walk for me that I don't know if I would have found by myself. Yeah, I love it. JJ, thank you uh, for giving us just a glimpse. I wish we had all night. Um, But... Your, your willingness to show that part of you humanizes and I think helps us not imagine you at a Jedi temple somewhere getting ready for Sunday. And I think if you are listening in San Diego or Seattle or whatever, please do this. Don't assume that your pastors or the people in your community even think that they are those people. Uh, give them a shot and go sit down and take them to coffee and say, who are you as a person? Uh, because as I have gotten to know you, the pastor, now as the person, uh, the story thickens in a way that when I hear you preach and I talk, when you, when you share these stories, I see in a different way. So thank you for the work you do. Thank you for who you are. Thanks for being a good dad and a good husband and a good friend and a really good pastor in the city. Would you guys say thank you to Pastor Jim?